Let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, John 6. I hope always when you are singing, you pay attention to the words, uh, the hymns and songs that are chosen are chosen for a reason, and uh, we believe in worship that uh, it's not just a matter of the outward, but uh, the inward, and uh, so there's real content to what we put together for worship. I want to read a phrase to you that you uh, sang a minute ago, and I want you to uh, consider that as we enter into uh, God's Word today and the message today. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what do you do? When Satan tempts me to despair, gets me depressed, gets me worried, tells me of the guilt within, in other words, when he lies to me, what do you do? Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. When those things are going on, we look to the cross, to the finished work of Jesus. And that's the key. I have just given you the most important part of my sermon today. But let's read God's Word in John chapter 6, beginning with verse 35. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. Lord, we would ask today that as we enter into the study of your word, that it would be more than just an academic study, that your spirit would present to our hearts and to our minds the truth, enable us to have faith and to believe, to deal with those sometimes temptations to despair, to deal with those lies that Satan will tell. We need you, we need your word. And so we ask for this 
In the precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, I can tell you your spiritual status. I'm not a mind reader. I'm not a fortune teller, as if one could tell you your spiritual status if one claimed to be a fortune teller. But I can tell you that uh, because I could say this to any group anywhere in the world, that we could break the people in this room down into four categories. There are other ways you, you could do it. But let me mention those. Number one, some of you are saved and you know it. Number two, some of you are not saved and you know it. Third category, some of you think that you are saved but you're not. And number four, some of you really are saved, but you don't have any assurance of it. And you struggle with that. Last week we talked about the very first step in the making of a disciple. It is having a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ alone for our eternity. That's the the most basic, that's the foundation. And if you are, when I mention these categories, if you were in category two, and that is you're, you're not saved and you know it, then that's what you need to deal with. You need to worry about assurance of salvation. But you need to go back to step one. Because that's the most crucial question for you at this point. I especially want to talk today to those who heard those categories and would say, you know what, I think I may be in category number four. I think I'm saved. I'm pretty sure I'm saved. I know about salvation. I, I was with Dale last week. I, I tracked with him, and I, I, I think I've done all that. But I really struggle. And there, there are doubts that I have, and there are times when I just really wonder. In fact, let me give you several characteristics of some who are in that category. And by the way, I would say this. You're in that category if you say, you know what, I think that's me. It's not something to be ashamed of. And you need to know that it is, it's a common category. In fact, 
as through the years I have read biographies of great saints, I would call them, those who really knew the Lord, those who many of us would want to live our life after their example in terms of their piety and their love for Christ, many of them struggled with that as well. And so if you find yourself struggling, don't despair because God's Word addresses it. But let me give you some of the the ways you can know if if perhaps you're in that category. First of all, you, you may actually have moments where you just stop in your tracks and you say, is any of this really true? I mean, I, I, I hear this all the time, or is it, is it just a fiction that somebody made up at some point to bring themselves comfort and somehow we are all deceived? You have those moments of great doubt where you just don't know whether it's real or not. Another characteristic that maybe isn't quite as blatant as that one. But I see it almost running rampant far too often. Is an inordinate dread of death. Now I'm not talking about the moment of death or the circumstances surrounding death. I don't know anyone that looks forward to that, that part of it. But I'm talking about it in the big picture and what will take place and heaven and clinging to this life. There are far too many real believers that somehow have become convinced that death is about the worst thing that can happen to a person. And you know what? That doesn't fit with what the Scripture teaches. That's why I call it an inordinate dread of death. Now, we're going to focus a whole message on this later in this series. But that is one of the aspects of assurance. That somewhere in our belief of heaven and our belief about this life, there's a disconnect when there is that inordinate dread of death. And then another area that shows we may struggle with our own assurance is a worried perspective about this life. A person who doesn't have an assurance of salvation will often get overwhelmed by circumstances in this life, especially the difficult ones. As opposed to a person that is resting in the assurance of a sovereign God who can say, you know what? 
These are difficult circumstances. And maybe I don't even really like these circumstances. But regardless of what's going on, I have peace with God. And that puts it all in perspective. So, if those are some of the characteristics, where's our comfort? I see believers struggling with those three areas constantly. What can we know? Well, the fact is that we can know for certain that we are saved. 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. See, that's one of the, the questions that a lot of people have in their mind. They might say, well, you know, if you ask them if they are saved, well, I sure hope so. I, I'm sure doing my best. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working at it. Well, this doesn't say anything about that. It says you may know, and there's something that you need to know, and it's all that we talked about last week, and it has to do with believing in the name of the Son of God, with Christ. Now, some say if, if, if you're that confident, in other words, if you say, you know, I, I know that I am saved. Some say, well, that's just arrogant. You can't say that. You can't say that and still be humble. John Murray says just the opposite. The facts are, he says, that the more intelligent, the deeper, and the more unwavering the assurance of salvation is, the humbler, the more stable, and the more circumspect will be the life, walk, and conduct. You see, the reason is because it's, it's not based upon just our knowledge. It's not based upon how good we are. But there are other foundations, and that's what we need to look at today. The first foundation, and this is where we begin, is our assurance is based on God's work. John 6, that we talked about earlier. Now, if you go through the Gospel of John, you will see that one of the ways Jesus taught, we, you, you might have heard of his I am statements. And if you go through the Gospel, you will see that what Jesus would do often is he would uh, perform a miracle and then while people were still thinking about that miracle, they might not even know why that particular one was, uh, was done, but while they were still thinking about that, then he would teach a spiritual lesson. For instance, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, what are the people thinking of? Death and resurrection. And Jesus teaches I am the resurrection and the life. Now, in this passage, 
Jesus, shortly before he teaches uh, this, had fed the 5,000. He had multiplied the loaves of bread. And then a short time later, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you uh, that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. That's where it touches on assurance of salvation, on the work of God, on the work of Christ. All that the Father gives me will come to me, effectual calling. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And then he goes on, verse 38. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me but raise it up in the last day. Okay, I'm not going to lose those that he gives me. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. He says here, Jesus says, that assurance is based on the will of the Father and Jesus' absolute, perfect obedience to the Father's will. This is the will of the Father. These are my people. I give them to you. Don't lose them. And Jesus says, I will not lose them because I will do the will of my Father. It depends on His work and not ours. Martin Luther wrote these words. And, and by the way, assurance of salvation is a major theme of the Reformation. The Reformers, all of them, wrote much about assurance of salvation because it is so key, and it is that which the church in that day didn't have before they took them back to the Bible. But Luther wrote these words, and we have sung them often in a mighty fortress. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth. Most people wonder, what in the world is Lord Sabaoth? It means Lord of hosts, Lord of armies. That's what it's calling Jesus. Lord Sabaoth, his name. From age to age, the same. And he must win the battle. You get it? See what Luther was saying? It's, you know, if we were depending upon our own works, we're lost. But instead, he must win the battle. Now we move on in the same gospel and see the same theme continuing to be carried out. Jesus again in John 10, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. There it is. The effectual calling we've been talking about. Here uh, he's talking about uh, what we talked about last week. 
It's about salvation coming to Christ by faith. And then he says, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all. No one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. I cannot read this without thinking about when I was a young father with our first child, his name's Nathan. And I will never forget, I was, uh, we were in Pennsylvania, and I was walking out of a Kmart. I remember that because there weren't many stores around where I was. Walking out of a, a Kmart, and I had my arms full of packages, and Nathan was uh, walking with me. He was just a, a little guy, uh, not far beyond having learned to walk. And I said, Nathan, hold on to me. And so we began walking across. Uh, you know, there were cars coming, but they were a good ways away. And, of course, what happened was he stumbled and fell. Now, I just knew, I might have imagined it, but I, I looked down at the car that was coming. I could just see the disgust that they had looking at me. What a crummy father that I was letting my little one uh, fall down. And so anyway, I got him up, and we got to the car and so on. Well, the next time and every time after that and with our other three children, I didn't say, hang on to me. Instead, I said, let me take your hand, and I would grab their hand. And then when they would stumble, as inevitably happened, because it happens with children, I would just lift them up. Until and then just lower them back down until they got their footing, and then we would get across. And anyone seeing me would say, Now that's a father. Now that's. <laughs> that's what I think of when I read this. You know, if it depended upon me to hang on to God, I'd always be stumbling. I would be losing my salvation virtually daily. But instead, it doesn't depend on me hanging on. No one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of the Father's hand because the Father is the one hanging on to me and to us, to we who are trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life. You see, the, the clear statements, how uh, if, if we... Just say, we hope we will go to heaven. You see these clear statements in the Scripture, and if we're just saying, oh, I hope I'll go to heaven, how we're in danger of insulting the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Saying, well, in essence, I mean, we don't put it this way, but in essence it's saying, well, I hope He did enough. We ought not to be here. Now, while it's clear that our assurance of salvation depends on God's work in Christ, our work does have a role in our assurance. We've got to be careful here. But it's true. So let's take a look at it. Our salvation 
is confirmed by our actions. It's confirmed by our work. It's not gained. Be careful, you know, there's a, there's a distinction there, but it's a major distinction. It's not obtained by our work, but it is confirmed by it. In Matthew 7, verse 17, Jesus teaching. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down, thrown into the fire. And here's, here's the key statement. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Whether it is true or not. You know the heart. I've heard it said we, we can't know people's hearts, but we can be fruit inspectors. Well, in a sense, that's right. That's the outward part that either confirms or denies what you are saying you believe. In Galatians 5. Here, the Apostle Paul is making the distinction between this bad fruit versus real fruit or good fruit. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. This is Galatians 5, 19. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's diseased fruit. But, verse 22, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. You see, that's the outward. That's the right That is what confirms that there has been a change inside because the fruit that is being produced is different. Now, one issue that some struggle with is when some hear the testimony of of somebody uh, who, you know, they've, they've had some kind of a difficult life. They give the testimony of what they were like before they came to Christ. And those are wonderful testimonies. We should thank God for them. But not everybody has that testimony. And then some wonder, well, I don't have that experience. Am am I even really saved? I was speaking at a a retreat for workers in another country. And uh, uh, before each session, I would have one of the workers give their uh, testimony. And one of the ladies who is uh, in her 70s, this is how she begins her testimony. 
I was saved out of, of a life of drugs and sex and scandal at the age of three. <laughs> well, you see her point is that, uh, you know, it's, it's like, boy, those are the dramatic testimonies, but here she's saying, you know what? I don't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus. And I can't tell you about my life before Christ. But you know what? That's okay. That's not the point. The point is not the moment or even the actual circumstances when. I'm convinced that there are millions of stories of the way that God draws people to Himself. And no two of them are exactly alike, but all of them, when they are true, are valid. And so we can't just assume that it will all sound like a cookie-cutter testimony. But the key is not the how and the when, but are you bearing the fruit of the Spirit that confirms that Jesus is there in your life? That's the key. Jesus again in John 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Let me tell you about a dangerous, even a deadly doctrine. Maybe you have heard some teach about the doctrine of the carnal Christian. It often goes something along these lines. That uh, as long as you pray that prayer or walk the aisle, you will be saved. Now, you won't get rewards in heaven if you don't live a life afterwards, but you will be in heaven. Sadly, too many are trusting in something like that for someone they really love. I've heard such stories where, for instance, a wife says, well, you know what? Years ago, my husband went to a revival meeting or evangelistic meeting or something like that, and, and he walked the aisle and he became a Christian. Now, he's never come to church and nothing ever really changed in his life, but he will get into heaven. It'll be by the skin of his teeth, but he'll get into heaven. And that, I believe, is deadly. The Bible doesn't say that. It indicates there will be some outward evidence, something to indicate that that prayer of faith or that walking the aisle or whatever the circumstance was, was genuine because something happens in their life. There is some fruit. So what's this assurance mean to me? 
Well, as we grow as a disciple of Christ, we should move to the point where we don't just say, well, I I sure hope I'm going to heaven, to the point where we can say, I know for certain that I'm going to heaven. I'm slow to assure people of that. But in your own life, go before the Father. Make sure it's genuine. See if there is fruit there. It can't be based upon your feelings because your feelings will waver. You will have those moments where, where uh, you, you just aren't sure. And so if you base it on feelings, because feelings go like this, then you can never be sure. Satan will lie to you. It must be based upon the work of God. Any quest for assurance must necessarily drive us to the cross and the work of Jesus on the cross. And then we look at evidences in our lives. And essentially, we must look on the Word of God. Satan will lie. God will not lie. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read to you some summaries of Bible verses and then I'm going to pray. And I want you just to listen to these. If you are trusting in Christ alone for your eternal life, these are true of you. And you can rest in them. Let me ask you just to bow your heads while I read these and then I will pray. I am free from condemnation forever. I am a joint heir with Christ, sharing in his inheritance. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have the Spirit of God's Son in my heart. I'm confident that the good work that God has begun in me will be completed. I am hidden with Christ in God. I am a son of the light and not of darkness. I've not been given a a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. I'm sharing in the heavenly calling. I can find grace and mercy in time of need. I'm one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I am born of God. And the evil one cannot touch me.